HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Build it, they will come. And that's exactly what a couple of women did 70 years ago. We'll hear a lot more about that when I speak with Dr. Tim Ryan, the president of the Culinary Institute of America, today on A Taste of the Past. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And indeed... Build it, they will come. Who knew? The Culinary Institute of America has grown over the years to become the most prestigious food service and culinary education center in, I would say, probably the world, but we'll hear, we'll hear from the voice that will tell us that. I am very honored and pleased to have Dr. Tim Ryan, the president of the Culinary Institute, here with us today to tell us all about that History, interesting history, yes, a couple of women, and uh, the growth and expansion of and changes that it has undergone through the years. Tim is the, or Dr. Ryan, is the fifth president of the CIA. In fact, he's the first president to have graduated from the CIA. He graduated in 77 and then went on to get his doctorate in education at the University of Pennsylvania. It was not long ago when Nation's Restaurant News listed him as one of the 50 most powerful people in food, Daily Meal and restaurant, Nation's Restaurant News. Um, what Nation's Restaurant News says is that Tim Ryan is not only transforming the next generation of chefs and how they're educated, but also influencing nearly every aspect of the restaurant industry. And Certainly, reading his um, his bio, one is 
confirmed of that statement. And you only have to look at the roster of graduates, um, students and graduates from the CIA to know that it's not doesn't read like a list of who's who in food service. It is the who's who of food service in America. Dr. Ryan, welcome to the show. Linda, it's great to be here. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Well, you know... Somebody with the name of Tim Ryan has to say that. Uh, <laughs> I figured it was only right that I had an Irish name on the show. We are, <laughs> just for our listeners, uh, many of whom will probably listen next week or tomorrow, we are recording this on St. Patrick's Day. So, indeed, happy St. Patty's Day. <laughs> Absolutely. And I have to talk to you every day because with that introduction, I feel so great now. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, it's hard to weed out what to say about you because... Because there's so many accolades written, and I, I just, you know, I figured I would start with a little bit, and we will continue to talk about it. Now, you indeed um, were a graduate of the Culinary Institute, and only the only the fifth president in 70 years. I, that's that's I think um, really saying something about the institution, you know, keeping continuity in in its education. Um, but. Before we um, talk about your background there, tell us a little bit about the history of the CIA and how it got started. With a name like Tim Ryan and the CIA, I mean, someone looked at me askance and said, what, are you doing government today? (laughs) No, indeed, we're talking culinary history. exactly. And uh, in fact, just as a little point of of history, uh, there is another CIA that some people are are familiar with, the Central Intelligence Agency. (laughs) But, But my CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, predates them. They were originally the OSS. That's, in fact, the organization that Julia and, uh, and Paul Child worked for uh, and took them all around the world. Um, they didn't become the uh, Central Intelligence Agency until 1947. Of course, the Culinary Institute of America started in 1946. Therefore, we are the first. Couldn't you trademark that so they couldn't uh, have taken it? <laughs> well, we've tried, but we have, uh, you know, over the years, friendly relationships with that with that other CIA. But anyhow, about the, the history of the school, and uh, you touched on it, uh, I think, very well at the, at, the, at the top of the program. We were founded uh, by two women, and uh, this happened in 1946. So, of course, the Second World War had just ended. The GI Bill had been passed, one of the greatest pieces of legislature in American history, a transformative act even to this day. So millions of veterans were returning um, from uh, from overseas, and uh, the two women uh, were really inspired by a group of local restaurateurs in New Haven, Connecticut, the New Haven Restaurant Association, and it was it was the restaurateurs that came up. Uh, with the idea that became the CIA, but they were busy running restaurants, so they knew that they they uh, you know couldn't launch this effort, and so they went to the first of our two founders, a woman by the name of Frances Roth, an extraordinary individual, the first female admitted to the Bar Association in the state of Connecticut. Uh, she was born and raised in New Haven. She uh, studied at NYU's law school. She was a suffragette. And uh, just a, a dynamo, and uh, the restaurateurs knew her because she was uh, the assistant district attorney in uh, in New Haven at the time, and they knew she was just a you know again a dynamo. So they uh, they talked her into um, launching this effort, and she quickly brought on her good friend uh, Catherine Angel, and Mrs. Angel 
was the wife of the president of Yale University. And so our first real campus was was within the campus of Yale. They lent us uh, buildings and 14 acres and bootstrapped the Culinary Institute of America. So our origins are at, at Yale and led by these two dynamic women. Um, over the the school, uh, you know, bloomed, blossomed right away, and uh, continued to grow to gain international prominence. And by the late '60s, we were busting at the seams and uh, landlocked in our little uh, patch of land down there on the Yale campus. Had no room to grow uh, because on one side was the School of Theology, and the other side was the School of Forestry. So uh, we uh, commenced a nationwide search to find a new campus that would accommodate our growth and aspirations and found a a magnificent facility here in Hyde Park, New York, the home of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, that was a Jesuit seminary. And um, at one time, there were hundreds and hundreds of uh, young seminarians studying here. It's a magnificent, the main building, a magnificent building right on the banks of the Hudson River. But by the summer of love, uh, the attendance had dwindled down to really a handful. And um, so the Jesuits, who were brilliant um, scholars but not great marketers, uh, sent out a film to Catholic schools throughout the country uh, that uh, was black and white, reel-to-reel, showing seminarians uh, scrubbing floors and working in the fields. And uh, across the screen came the Jesuit vows, chastity, poverty, (laughs) obedience. Uh, somehow those were not resonant themes. <laughs> not a big sell. In, in the summer of love. And uh, that was to the CIA's advantage. So we were able to acquire this property for uh, 80 acres on the Hudson River for really a song and uh, moved here then in 1972. So 1970, yeah. I, I was going to ask you how, you know, where the funding, how they got the funding for that, because if anyone, if you haven't visited, it's it's just worth the drive. Um, just uh, a short hour and 45 minutes or two hours north right. of New York City. Beautiful, beautiful area. And, um, you know, obviously it's it's grown since you, you know, since it first started. But I was wondering about that, where, you know, where the funding came from that. Well, now you explained it all. Um, and so in 1972, how many students were there approximately? Well, uh, yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you just a, a little bit more about the funding. So what happened was Yale, uh, though they had given us the property um, in New Haven, they gave us, they wrote us a check for a million dollars to help us out and said, you know, here, uh, because they, were, they would get back that property, which obviously had increased in, in value. If anybody ever wants to visit it in your New Haven, it's on Prospect Street. It's now the Global Fellows Institute of uh, Yale University. Hmm. They gave us a million dollars, and uh, lo and behold, um, we paid the Jesuits a million dollars uh, for this property. Now, we've invested hundreds of millions since then. Right. But, um, and, the, and you know, the campus is, uh, is wonderful now, and it's 200 acres. But uh, that's how it all started out. Back in 1972, um, the number of students, jeez, uh, it would probably have been about 800, mm-hmm. somewhere, somewhere well, around there. I know that they, I mean, you know, the number of 1,000 was thrown around talking about how um, 
the women, the two, uh, Catherine and uh, Francis, you know, how it grew and they expanded so much they needed a, you know, bigger space. Um, but that sounds, that sounds about right. 800, 800 right. students. Yeah. yeah and, to, and today, what, what is your enrollment today? Uh, we have over 3,000. On just that campus? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And then, of course, we have campuses in um, the Napa Valley, in San Antonio, Texas, and in Singapore. Well, and you were very quite responsible for the, um, the expansion of the two newest ones in San Antonio and Singapore. And I want to get to that. Um, we'll get to that in just a minute because what I want to talk about is um, before – before the San Antonio and the Singapore campus came about, or in Napa Valley for that matter, uh, a lot of changes came about in the curriculum and um, offerings at the school. And uh, when did when did the degree program become instituted? Um, well, uh, the original CIA was a short program. This was back in in Hyde Park. And uh, that offered a certificate. And when we moved to Hyde Park, um, that's when we started to grant associate's degrees. And um, so we were the first school, first culinary school in the world. First of all, we were the first you know, school of its kind in the world. But And people don't really know that. Uh, and, and we were certainly the first to offer... A degree. We started to offer bachelor's degrees in 1993, right? Okay. And uh, so that's that's a long time ago. Right. And um, you know, in the near future, we'll we'll begin offering uh, master's degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was one of my other questions. <laughs> I figured it was a natural to follow, but uh, absolutely, yeah. But no. certainly, certainly very interesting that one can go to what was. What has been for a long time considered, you know, vocational training, but here you get an education, a full education, and you get, um, right. you know, bachelor's degree as well. Excellent. Um, so let's talk about the expansion to these other locations. What? Well, no, let's back up. Let me back up. And you attended and graduated in 1977. What? Right. What was the school like then compared to what were, what you would see today? In terms well, of, in terms of, you know, education, course offerings, things like that. Right. Well, um, you know, that's a great question, and, and just to put it into context, um, you know, historically, I mean, 1977 uh, is a galaxy apart in terms of the culinary development in uh, the United States from where we are today. And uh, so the curriculum kind of reflected that. I mean, there were no star chefs yet. You know, I was arguably amongst the first generation that started to own their own restaurants and get, you know, prominence and, and, and so on. But back in the, in the 70s, you know, chefs were the government, the federal government considered us and classified us as domestics. Um, you know, it wasn't a super highly regarded um, uh, position. The mm-hmm. best chefs were from France, um, and so many of us were inspired by Paul Bocuse, who and 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 his contemporaries. But particularly Paul was kind of he's kind of like the Elvis Presley of chefs. You know, Elvis Presley is is the the Big Bang of rock and roll, and and Paul Bocuse represents the Big Bang of chefs. You know, the world changes for all chefs. 
following Paul Bocuse. But in terms of the curriculum, uh, you know, again, it was reflective of, of the day, and, and things have just changed so much. So it was a lot of French food. Uh, because if you wanted to be a serious chef, you wanted to be, uh, you know, really, really great, you had to cook uh, French cuisine. And um, the ingredients were pretty basic. So if you reflect back, you're too young to remember this, Linda, but <laughs> and, and, prob- and probably, uh, you know, many of your listeners are, are too young. But um, here at the CIA, if a faculty member referred to mushrooms in the 1970s, um, he was, because uh, there were very few female faculty members, um, he was undoubtedly using the plural form of white bush, button mushrooms, because mm-hmm. that's all that was available. Mm. Uh, fresh herbs, the only thing that was available was you had a choice of curly parsley and flat leaf parsley. Uh, if you talked about peppers, that was for sure the plural form of green bell peppers, because nothing else was available in the U.S. markets. And if you contrast just uh, herbs, mushrooms, and peppers, then with today, and um, you know what we have available, and then think about how that changes education, and how much more complicated education becomes, and then you layer uh, things onto on top of that, like all the different global flavors. When I graduated from the CIA, we got a smattering of Chinese, and we learned about Austrian and Swiss, and you know those kinds of of things. But, uh, I mean, compared to today and what the expectations are in terms of knowledge, um, you know, again, we're worlds apart. Well, it's, and, um, it's amazing that you then went on to, uh, you know, to be in the, the Culinary Olympics and one of the, the winners of the, of, and, and a certified master chef and, and one of the winners of those um, international competitions with what you're describing. And, yes, I do remember quite well I, <laughs> <laughs> the foods at that time. Um, and it was difficult. Well, you're a historian. And trying to get any kind of um, so-called exotic, which today is standard supermarket shelf food, you know, ingredients to make an international dish was practically impossible. So I imagine that the teaching was, you know, reflected that, as you say. Um, That said, the the CIA was the best in the world at at the time. It was just reflective of of that era. Right. Well, in fact, you and you mentioned Paul Bocuse was the you know the rock star of the culinary world. I and and I have a quote that I think probably came from the CIA site that he said at one of the um, ceremonies where he was there that the first time he visited, he said, the first time I visited, I knew I had found a school that teaches the traditions of the world's cuisines. It's the best culinary school in the world. And in fact, he went on to enroll his son, did he not? That's right, Jerome, <laughs> uh, Paul's son, who's uh, a good friend and is one of the leaders of the whole uh, American Bocuse Door effort with Thomas Keller and, mm-hmm. and Daniel Ballou is a graduate of the CIA. Great right. guy. All right. You know, it, it so many people who've been influential in the culinary world have, have um, sung the praises of the CIA. Uh, Craig Claiborne um, the New York Times uh, food writer and right. and uh, influencer likened it to so many top training institutions. You know that West Point for military, the Juilliard for music, and the CIA for food. Right? right. And Julia Child, what did she call it? She called it the Harvard of culinary schools. And that yep. <laughs> so that was that was quite a compliment to uh, you know to an institution. Well, all good friends and great people. That's great, and certainly. Uh, your influence over the... You became president in 2001? 
2001, mm-hmm. yeah, but I've been here now. Um, after graduation, I was out in the restaurant industry, but now I've been, and then I came back to uh, open the American Bounty Restaurant, um, which was kind of a breakthrough effort here, and that was in the uh, 1982 we started that project. Which again, it's it's kind of hard for our students today to to think about that. But back in 1982, when we announced that we were going to open an American restaurant, um, that was with some met with some measure of ridicule in the American uh, food service industry. Like, what? What are you going to serve? Hamburgers and hot dogs? And, <laughs> um, so we were really at the first wave and and helping to lead what became the uh, you know American cuisine movement. Uh, along with a bunch of our alumni like Larry Forgione and Jasper White up in New England, Dean Faring down in Texas, Bradley Ogden out in uh, California, and uh, and many, many more. But we've come a long way since then in terms of the development of American cuisine. It's taken for granted today, but back then, um, you know, we really had to think about it and convince people that we did have our own native indigenous cuisine. Right. And and you really are a champion, uh, the one you know known for having championed American cuisine, and I think that's that's incredible and that's excellent. Often and on this mentioned, show, uh, well, Linda, you mentioned the Culinary Olympics, which happens, as you know, uh, every every four years uh, in in conjunction with the uh, with the Sporting Olympics. Uh, national teams come from all over the world to compete against uh, each other. And um, I was the captain of the team in 1988. Boy, that sounds like a long time ago. <laughs> and um, we won the world championship. So part of the Olympics is that you bring um, uh, dishes and you cook things that are representative of your national cuisine. And so that was a huge breakthrough for American cuisine that, you know, all these German and Austrian and Japanese and Indian and, you know, judges from all over the world uh, said, hey, the American team is, is the best. They're the, they're the world champs. So that really uh, got us a lot of uh, notice for sure back then. A feather in your talk. <laughs> right. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, the faculty and what they were faced with. Um, and not having, uh, uh, there were no women on the faculty right. at that time. Yeah. Uh, today, what, what, how, how many, what is your, what's the number in terms of faculty and the total faculty? Oh, I, you know, I don't know the total number, but it's probably about uh, 50-50, which is um, representative of our student body. So, um, you know, back when I was a student at the CIA, I don't know, probably it was 8% of the student body, you know, was probably women. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my classmates who, who were women, by the way, ended up to be just fabulous. Like two, two of my classmates I literally went to the school with, uh, one was Susan Feniger. Um, you know, of Two Hot Tamales right. fame, and uh, the other was Sarah Moulton, who then went on to be to work with uh, Julia Child, and of course went right. to Gourmet Magazine, and uh, and so on. So we were all in in the CI together, but there were very few women. About eight percent of the total student body today, it's fifty percent women here at uh, at the institute. And, and what's the total? What? How many people there? How many people work there? In other words, how? What is the total faculty? Oh, faculty members. Ah, with about, I mean, I didn't mean to yeah, throw 200, you 200, 200. <laughs> wow, yeah. yeah. I figure with 3,000 students, you've got to have, you know, it's got to be a, you know, a lot of 
yeah. a, a lot of people. And of course, when I ask you these questions, I keep thinking of Hyde Park. But you're, I'm sure your brain is thinking, which campus? Where? What are we right. talking about? The right. entire institution, you know, which yep. comprises all of them. Um, let's and let's get back to that about opening. So you bought so the the institution spread out to Greystone in California first, right. um, and now of course San Antonio and Singapore. That. That must be present a little bit of a challenge to run all these different campuses. What are some of the the biggest challenges in trying to keep everything um, at the top of its game? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, the the reason why we have four campuses, and it's important to underscore, I think, um, that the CIA, Colony Institute of America, were a private, not-for-profit institution. There are no owners. There's no shareholders. We were set up by by the restaurant industry for the benefit of the restaurant industry and and for our students. So if we have anything left over at the end of the year, it gets reinvested in the school and in and student scholarships. And so therefore, as we um, have other campuses, we've done that for strategic purposes. So back in the early 90s, we went to California because, I mean, it was clear by then and it had already been happening for, for a decade that, you know, San Francisco was such an influence in the Bay Area, you know, so influential in the food scene that we really wanted to have a presence there. Mm-hmm. And we saw more and more of our students being attracted to uh, the wine components of the industry. So Napa Valley was a very, very logical and strategic um, place for us to be. And of course, that's more than we've had that campus open now for more than uh, 20 years and are undergoing a major expansion out there right now. So that's been a wonderful fit. San Antonio, um, which was um, funded uh, completely and endowed by a single billionaire, wow. a great guy by the name of Kit Goldsberry, um, who made his fortune on one product. He popularized Pace Picante Salsa. And um, he's a native San Antonian. He made his money in the food world, and he wanted to give back to San Antonio. And so Kit came and uh, said, geez, Tim, I want to build a campus for the CIA and so on and in San Antonio. And I told him no for about four years uh, because we weren't really, you know, we're not a for-profit. So mm-hmm. we, weren't, we weren't interested in expansion and all that. But the more I got to know Kit, we started to talk about the strategic uh, benefits and what, our, what a bigger vision was. And we called that El Sueño, the dream. And so it was in recognition, the, the creation of the San Antonio campus was in re- recognition of the fact that the restaurants and food service operations of America are largely populated, particularly in the back of the house, by uh, people of Latino uh, origin. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, because of um, I, you know, uh, socioeconomic issues, they don't rise through the ranks of the industry at commensurate levels to leadership and ownership positions. And so we said, you know, it, with KIT's uh, support, if we build a campus and provide endowed scholarships, we'll be able to change that in the future. The second part of that El Sueño initiative, the strategic initiative, the dream, was that um, Latino foods, uh, particularly Mexican food, have been viewed for so long as cheap, not very good foods in America. And, um, you know, there's a whole wealth of uh, diverse tastes and flavors and great quality 
um, that is not really being represented. So we wanted to see if we could change that, like the CIA helped to advance um, American cuisine forward. And so those are the, the two components of the mission and the strategic reason why we're in San Antonio. And then Singapore came about uh, because of the importance of Asia. And uh, we have a lot of students that come to us from, uh, from all over Asia. And the Singaporean government uh, came to us, and so they uh, completely built the campus and endowed that for us. They underwrite all the, the activities there, and it's a great home base for us um, with a foothold in, in Asia. So that's the strategic uh, importance of, uh, of Singapore. And in terms of running them all, I mean, you know, just like running anything, you have to have uh, great people. And so I'm blessed with... Uh, uh, great team, you know. It's, uh, I'm, I'm the president, but it's not just me. There's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people that contribute to the CIA effort, and we have wonderful leaders. We've got make great managing directors in um, in all our campuses, and so that's how it all works. Well, certainly you're a, a. I get to talk on the radio, and they do all the work. That's basically. right. <laughs> well, and obviously somebody has to be the deal maker, so you know we got to have someone there at the top. Um, I want to find out a little bit more about some of these new curriculum changes that have taken place, but right. we have to take a short break. So just hang in there, and we'll be back after a short break. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. Okay, we are back, and I'm talking with Dr. Tim Ryan, the president of the Culinary Institute of America. And, uh, Tim, we were... Uh, is it okay I call you Tim? Dr. Oh, absolutely. Ryan. <laughs> Dr. Ryan. No, I mean, I, I know it's sort of like, you know, once someone becomes a chef, you know, can I talk, can I call him by his first name, or do I have to call him chef? <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because uh, you were talking about the... Um, how far the the prestige of being a chef and restaurateur has come since the right. the early days and in fact you know back in the day one didn't even know who was cooking in the kitchen one didn't didn't even know the name of the chef you knew the restaurateur you right. know he, he stood at the door and welcomed everybody coming in but yep. it wasn't until really i guess the you know the the late mid 80s maybe late 80s that the chefs started coming out from behind the stove you know and, right. and being introduced as, as front and center well and then by and by the the culinary institute of america made a lot of changes in the curriculum as well um obviously as you said even just going out to napa valley or or you championing uh, the american cuisine reflecting the change in society reflecting the change of what people wanted and today, um, you the institute offers a focus also on science and sustainability, so new topics, food ethics. Um, right. Tell me about some of those partnerships and some of those programs. Well, we have um, you know quite a few uh, high-profile partners, uh, uh, including Harvard, 
Um, we've uh, done a lot of initiatives with Harvard, and, and specifically we work with um, the Harvard School of Public Health and all our efforts, and also Harvard Medical School. And these are formal partnership arrangements. We have uh, you know, a host of different conferences. We do uh, joint research, um, and it's really been a great, uh, a great partnership. Um, we do conferences. I mentioned uh, many are for the food service industry, but uh, also for the, um, for the medical community. So we have a major conference called Healthy Kitchens, Healthy Lives that attracts you know, 500 MDs at a time. Uh, is the uh, fastest selling continue, continuing medical education course in Harvard uh, history. And uh, you know, a typical keynote speaker would be the Surgeon General of the uh, of the United States. So, uh, the the initiatives and the partnership with Harvard are are important. Uh, in agriculture, we work uh, oftentimes with uh, UC Davis out in uh, California. We have a joint degree program with Cornell uh, Hotel School, which is fabulous, and a very close uh, partnership with Cornell. And we have another partnership with MIT and their famous uh, media labs. And uh, we do a lot with them because technology is, is important. And um, uh, we have a great conference that we do with, uh, with MIT called Rethink Food. And it's about the intersection of food, technology, the behavioral sciences, and innovation. And it's just fascinating. And the keynote speaker this year was the, the legendary Nicholas Negroponte. Uh, who penned, who authored one of the most prescient books of all time, which is called Being Digital, which foretold the digital future mm-hmm. uh, years in, in advance. So those are great partnerships that we, that we have, and we're, we're proud of them. You know, I mentioned MIT because you, you talk about um, the evolution of our curriculum and all these new courses. And, um, you know, people sometimes still say, well, you know, culinary arts, culinary school, we're a college, but, um, you know, isn't that kind of a trade? And, well, that's how schools like MIT started. You know, MIT is a land-grant institution, which meant that it was created after the Second uh, World War to um, train mechanics and engineers. Mm -hmm. These were people who had wrenches in their hands, who had uh, oil on their fingers, uh, the same is true with um, uh, business schools. First business school in the world. When I'm an alumnus of the University of Pennsylvania, as you mentioned, uh, Wharton School of Business. Mm-hmm. Joseph Wharton was an iron smelter. Business people were looked upon as having dirty fingers. And so there's real parallels to the culinary profession there. We're just uh, earlier on in our evolution. And these are things that I studied and looked at and wrote about in my doctoral dissertation. As professions evolve, Two things are required for true professions, increasingly higher levels of education and then specialization. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the CIA is pursuing those paths. So nowadays, where, where I was a student at the school, there was one program. Everybody took the same thing, exactly the same classes. Now we've introduced you know, scores of electives to, um, to fit the growing body of knowledge and the career opportunities of our students. And we have all kinds of concentrations. If a student wants to come to the CIA and study uh, farm-to-table cooking and work on our farm in California and operate, you know, use all those products in our conservatory restaurant, all of which is led by 
legendary chef Larry Forgione. Mm -hmm. If you want to study Latin cuisines, you can go to our San Antonio campus and specialize on that. If you want to specialize in Asian cuisines, you can go to our Singapore campus and specialize in that. If you want to study Italian cuisines, we have a center for Italian food and wine here, but we're also going to open a castle in um, Puglia. Uh, next January. I'm the there. Of, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going. Uh, That's it. <laughs> if you want to study wine, you can study wine in our in our facility in uh, in Napa Valley. What better place? If you want to uh, focus on science, we have our laboratories and kitchens here. If you want to study food studies, uh, if you want to be an entrepreneur, we have a whole program on entrepreneurs. So for a lot of people, they're like, wow, geez, what's, what's going on? But it fits into the context of how uh, professions develop, and that's really uh, the strategy that we're pursu pursuing. It's a well-worn path. Uh, many other institutions and professions have been down, down it. It's just new for the culinary profession. Uh, well, I, and I think that's where uh, our society today, in general, is going. As you mentioned, that that you know the specialization going, you know, getting an education, then going back to, you know, maybe doing getting your education first, and then going into you know the a trade school like a trade school an educated trade school but i think right. that's uh, that's what society needs we need you know we need good people who know how to do things very well and right. um and certainly cia cia knows how to do it and, uh, and cia you know at cia we're, we're not only providing those technical uh skills that technical skills and knowledge base uh, which is which is critical and, and vital but also business management and leadership courses and um some liberal arts we want to we want to have people with you know a broad perspective um, that are part of you know educated society right. that know something about literature and language and history and all those kind of things that makes for a well-rounded, fully developed person. Well, uh, it's 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 never. I mean, it's not surprising to me, but I think to some people it would be surprising that um, people who end up being food writers, um, food historians. Uh, restaurateurs or ma in management of large, you know, food corporations to find out that they studied at CIA and someone goes, hmm, I thought that's just where you went to learn how to cook. And Absolutely as right you just now. described, right, indeed, that it's well-rounded and that's, that's so important. Um, but back to cooking, there are, you do have restaurants at all of the culinary, well, at least I know of the Hyde Park, I don't know about the others. All the campuses. Um, all yep. campuses have restaurants. And is there, um, like so many other culinary schools, or is it, there's their student participation in these restaurants, and is that a part of their training? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's integrated into, I, you know, I believe the CIA created that. We were the first school to have a restaurant that was part of the, uh, the education. Mm -hmm. um, that's now called the Bocuse Restaurant. It's quite different. It was originally called the Escoffier Restaurant. Right. And legions of our alumni went through that. But we opened that in, when we opened this campus in, in 1972. And so I think some schools have followed suit. But we run these restaurants as professional operations full-time. You know, there's a GAT rated very highly. Um, and people come from, uh, you know, all over the region to go to the restaurants. Here in Hyde Park, we have the Bocuse Restaurant named after 
our friend and uh, you know legendary uh, chef Paul Bocuse. He was here. We opened it on his birthday, hmm. and he was here for the opening, which was a, a thrill for everybody. We have the American Bounty, which has evolved over the years, but that not, you know was the original project that brought me back to my uh, alma mater mm-hmm. in the early '80s. We have the Caterina de Medici, which is obviously an Italian uh, restaurant, and um, we have the uh, Apple Pie Bakery Cafe which is a fast, casual cafe that um, is run by our baking and pastry majors. And we generally have a pop-up concept, uh, so we can keep things fresh and experimental. And currently, the pop-up is, which is in a beautiful, great facility, it's called Pangea. And um, it's a plant-forward concept, so it's not completely vegetarian, but it's mostly plant for you know, vegetables and grains and so on in the dishes with, uh, you know, maybe in some a little bit of, uh, of meat and, uh, and protein. And that's been uh, extremely uh, popular. Mm, excellent. Uh, such, I mean, it's just a, a, a wealth of, of happenings um, around the world now, we can say. Right. With these. And you, I'm, I have to say, you've um, been credited with with spearheading so many of these changes and i i thank you because i think it's a tremendous um uh benefit to the world of of food and to the education of those in in the culinary and other fields and also i thank you for spending so much time telling us all about the history and background of the cia um it's it it's just you know amazing to me how much you know how much goes on there more than more than meets the eye for sure so right thank Linda, you so thank much thank you so much well and thank I, you for spending I enjoyed your time it and i enjoy your show terrific thank you all right and thanks for listening you've been listening to of course a taste of the past i'm your host linda palaccio please join us again Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.